Father, we thank you for your mercy and your grace. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your character of who you are. And, and especially as we would consider this morning in, in what you revealed about yourself and, and what is to come in the final judgment, we thank you for your justice. We thank you that you are a just God. Lord, but we thank you that you are both just and the justifier of those who have faith in Christ. So we thank you that, that we can rejoice in your justice as we know that in, in, in the end, Lord, you will make all things right. And at the same time, we recognize that, Lord, that Christ, Lord, bore our punishment that we deserved in that so that we can look forward to that day with hope and assurance. And so we just thank you and praise you and pray that you'd be glorified as we study this things, these things this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we uh, have been talking about the doctrine of the last things, or eschatology, and we started talking last week in, in kind of a beginning of our discussion, really, of a um, kind of final states aspect, final aspects of, of general or universal eschatology, in the sense of thinking of, of, of the end of all things, right? And so we're thinking of, first of all, the final judgment. That's what we started last Sunday that we're covering again today, is this discussion about the final judgment, and then we're going to end uh, in the next few weeks and looking at the final states of the wicked, which is hell, and the final states of the righteous in, in heaven. And so as we, we talked about last week, that when we think about the final judgment, there's two things that really, I think, kind of the, the, that can sum up the, a lot of the passages that we're looking at. First of all, there, there's not a lot of, um, what, what did I say? There's, most of it's very well known. There's not a lot of surprises that God lays things out very, very clearly about what's going to happen. So unlike some of the other subjects that we've talked about recently, where there's maybe only a, a couple passages that are places in scripture that talk about those issues and the rest you have to kind of infer from other, other scriptures or doctrines, this one's very clear. Nearly every book, if, if not every book, in the New Testament directly speaks to this aspect of the final judgment. That God is, is, is routinely, the Holy Spirit is routinely emphasizing this, making sure this is very clear in his revelation to us. So, so there's not a lot of, of, of surprises. We walked through this and as we looked at last week and things like that, there is going to be a final judgment, right? There's probably no one here going, I didn't know that, right? If you've read the Bible, if you read any part of the New Testament, it's very clear that there is going to be a final judgment. Um, we, we looked at the aspect that this, this, comes very, this comes from the very character of God, that this final judgment is necessary for God to display his justice. We also looked at the nature, started looking at the nature of the final judgment and that Jesus would be the judge over the, 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 the judgment. Again, not, not a surprise. The New Testament's made this very clear. And, and, and we're going to finish this up and, and just, again, not, not a lot of surprises, but just the clarity of what the New Testament said. And then I wanted to carry it over to this week so we had time of the sense of why does the New Testament make something that is so clear? Why does the New Testament, why does the Holy Spirit repeat it over and over and over again? Because this is something that we need to know and this is something that we need to apply, that this is something that is, re- that is relevant for us on a really a day-by-day basis as we live out our lives, that we live that in light of the knowledge of this final judgment that's coming. So let's continue, though. We're on uh, number two, part B. 
as we're talking about just these, these clear aspects that scriptures revealed about the final judgment. Uh, we're, so we talked about the, the judge over the judgment. We talked that Jesus is the judge over the judgment. Um, one of those few passages, that, passages that's not so clear, we looked at 1 Corinthians 6, that that's the saints will participate. And Paul says that we will participate, but Paul doesn't tell us how we're going to participate. Because Paul doesn't, under the Holy Spirit, doesn't think we need to know how we're going to participate. He needs, says that we should know that we are going to participate, and that knowledge should affect how we settle our, our, our differences and our, um, our, our conflicts with believers now in the church. But let's look as it continues here, the subjects of the judgment. So we looked at several passages last week. We're going to look at a few others right now. But the passages regarding the final judgment, most of them are incredibly, use, use incredible universal language. That, that most of the passages that talk about final judgment don't make distinctions between believers and unbelievers. There are going to be distinctions. We're going to look at that. But most of these passages talk about this universal aspect of all will face this final judgment. We looked at Hebrews 19.27 last week. That's appointed for all men, right? All men to die and then to face judgment. Uh, we looked a little bit at Matthew, I think, 25 last week in the sheep and the goats, where at the start of that passage... Jesus says, all the nations will be gathered, right? So this all language, this all-encompassing language. Uh, look, at, look at 2 Corinthians 5 real quick. Well, look at another. Hebrews 19, uh, uh, 9, sorry, 9, thank you. 9. Thanks, Ron. So, yeah, Hebrews 9, 9, 27. Then 2 Corinthians 5. Verse 10, we're going to see this universal language again. In, in, in the context, let me back up. Look at the context of this language. So back to verse 6, Paul says, So we are of good courage. We know that we were, while we are at home in the body, we're away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. We would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So it's, it's interesting that in light it's not just here just a statement of, of all nations or all humanity, but he's talking specifically to believers and pointing out that we will be included as standing before the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, Romans 14 as well. We will, it says, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And so Paul infers, therefore, don't pass judgment on your brothers. So, so we see that this, this, ju- this aspect of who will face judgment, everyone will. Every, every single human being will stand before the judgment, uh, judgment of God. However, that doesn't mean that believers are to fear the final judgment, right? Again, I'm, not, I'm probably not saying anything new here, but this aspect that, that if there is this little bit of going, well, wait a minute, I didn't think I was going to have to do that. The, the Bible's saying that we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and yet we recognize that we already know the verdict of what's going to be declared, right? We're going to have to stand before the judgment seat, and yet we've already been justified, We've been declared righteous, even though, as we talked about in that unit on justification, none of us have actually heard God declare us righteous, right? It is a, 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 a judicial verdict of righteous. That's what justification is. And no one here has been before the judgment seat and heard God declare them righteous yet, right? Right? No books about going to heaven and coming back from this room? So, so the idea is that, that, that justification is an already declaration of what is not yet 
we've experienced that, that we're going to hear on that last day, that we are going to know that we are already pardoned, that we're going to be declared innocent, righteous. Uh, look at John 5.24. It's an interesting language Jesus uses here. Where Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death into life. Wait a minute. We just looked at several passages that say the believers will face the judgment. But Jesus is saying here that believers do not come into judgment. Bible, Bible contradicts itself. Right? No. What, what's, what, 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 what are the clues in this verse of what Jesus is talking about? Yeah, so that there's this aspect of, of, of being, there's, a, there's an under judgment that we're all going to be facing judgment, but what, is he, what, are, what are the words that are linked with what he's talking about judgment here? So we are not going to come into judgment. What does that mean? Yes. Yeah, but he doesn't use the word condemned. He uses the word judgment. Well, he does here. Huh? <laughs> oh, he does. He uses the word condemned in NIV? Because I think what the NIV is trying to do is help see the, connect the dots in this verse, which I think is, I think is very helpful at times, right? Because you look at this judgment. What does it mean to not face judgment? It's not to say that we will not stand before the judgment seat. It's that when we stand before the judgment seat, we're, we've, we're not going to be in the position of death, but we're in the position of what? Life. So the NIV is helping make that connection that this judgment is not talking about that we won't face judgment, but that that judgment's not going to be a judgment that results in death, which is the idea of condemnation. Right? So in the, it's not reading into the verse. It's, it's just what Jesus is saying there. Right? So, so it's saying that, that Jesus is associating this judgment with death so that, yes, we will stand before the judgment seat, but it's not a judgment that leads to death and the condemnation. It's one that's going to declare us forgiven and, 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 and demonstrate the eternal life that has been given in Christ. Again, Romans 8, which we won't turn there, as most of us know. Romans 8, 1 says, Therefore there is no condemnation. There is the word condemnation, right? Um, for those who are in Christ Jesus. But here's the important question, and we're getting a little bit into the application territory here, but this is a good place to tackle it. If we as believers have 100% assurance, if you are in Christ, there is guaranteed assurance that when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, that there will be life and not death, that there will be be, um, um, uh, eternal life and not condemnation. Why would the New Testament over and over and over and over again, continue to warn believers. The New Testament was primarily written to believers, right? Why did the New Testament over and over warn believers about this coming judgment if we already have the assurance of what the judgment's going to bring? We've seen passages above. We talked about last week in, in all, all four Gospels and all... And all it, I want to say I don't want to say every epistle because I, I, I like I'm not sure I can't think about third second and third John right now but almost every epistle has warnings to believers regarding this coming judgment. Now 
Some people would say, we've talked about similar subjects before in Sunday school here. Some people would say, well, these letters were written to mixed audiences or to some people that might be in the churches that are self-deceived, that they profess that they're believers, but they're not really true believers. And so these warnings are meant to be kind of introspective to make sure as you look at your life, to make sure you're genuinely saved. It's possible That's possibly the reason. And there are times that we see that in the New Testament. You look at 2 Corinthians 16, right? Examine yourself and see that if you are in the the faith. Um, We look at 1 John. um, Even even though 1 John, when we covered that, when we talked about that doctrine of assurance and doctrine of perseverance, 1 John is not primarily written to shake people and make sure, oh, you might not be saved. 1 John is written to people saying, listen, you are going to, you should see these things to help give you assurance that you're saved, right? So I don't think even 1 John fits that paradigm. So I'm not saying that that's not there in the New Testament, but as we're saying that the predominant focus in the New Testament, I don't, I just don't see that there. But as we look at the context, we've covered this before, we look at the context of these warnings, that these warnings are consistently written to believers, right? Romans was written to believers. 1 Corinthians was written to believers. Galatians was written Do I need to keep going? Right? It's written to believers. Clearly in these letters to believers, there are warnings about the eschatological judgment. So they're written to believers about judgment, with warnings about judgment. But at the same time, while they're being written to warn believers about judgment, in the same letters, often in the very same passage, in same context, those same letters have an expectation that those believers are going to heed those warnings and are going to persevere and have assurance. See, the New Testament consistently warns of the coming judgment because the authors under the Holy Spirit expect that genuine believers are motivated by these warnings for perseverance. So here's what I'm saying. I'm saying that when we come to these warnings, when we come to these warnings, when we read through the New Testament, here's what we should not do. That's not talking about me. Right? The, the, when we read through these warnings, we don't go, oh, that talk, that's talking, those are warning non-Christians. Those are warning self-deceived Christians. I've, 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 I've done the introspective work. I've, I know I have assurance in Christ. So this, this passage about the warning of the final judgment, that doesn't apply to me anymore. That, I, that's not the way that the New Testament seems to, to present itself through these warnings. These warnings are meant for us but not to shake our assurance. But these warnings, the best way to look, I think the best interpretation of these is that God uses these warnings as his means to ensure the perseverance of the saints, right? That God gives warnings not to shake us of our assurance, but to, to, to strengthen our assurance and our perseverance to the last day. They are the means to ensure that true believers will not fall away. So that's, 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 and that kind of leads us towards our, our application points. But any questions there? We've, some of you, we've covered this before. We covered this a lot in the assurance uh, or the perseverance of the saints uh, just several months ago. But Isaac in the street yes. So this is the, the example I gave when we were talking about uh, per, uh, perseverance in the sense of when God assures perseverance of the saints, that God uses means to accomplish his purposes. God doesn't just say, Sherry's saved, so I'm just going to um, 
mystically assure that this is not going to happen. God uses me. We see that throughout the, te- the, the, the Old Testament. God is sovereign. God is sovereign in everything that happens, but not in a sovereign way of, of, of controlling robots that God uses means to bring about what he has already declared. We, we see this in the Joseph narrative very clearly, that God is both sovereign and people make real responsible choices and yet we see that people make the same choices that God has already declared. Why? Because God uses means to bring those about, right? So for instance, the, the, you know, the, the dream, who gives the dreams to Joseph to declare to his brothers? God, which brings about the brother's hatred, which brings about all these, these situations. That God is absolutely sovereign so that in, in the end, Joseph can say, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. You made real choices to do evil. You made real free choices. And yet God was in control, sovereignly control over the whole thing. And it's the same thing with our perseverance. God is in sovereign control to guarantee our perseverance, but God uses means. What are the means the New Testament gives that brings about that perseverance? One of them is, is drawing near to Christ, right? And saying, draw near to Christ, cherish Christ, love Christ, right? That's going to that's gonna ensure our perseverance as we love Christ more and more. But the other means he uses is don't, don't wander. Don't wander because... There is a judgment that is coming and you want to be in Christ. You need to, you need to persevere. And so we see that, the, that both of those, and I use the Isaac example. It's not, no illustration is perfect, but I use the example of Isaac. I said, I'll use the one with Gus now because we did this with Gus the other day. Uh, Isaac told me that when they were letting the dog out, the got, Gus got a little too close to the road the other day. So I had to have a nice little talk with Gus. First of all, saying, Gus, we, you need to stay near, near mommy and daddy. You need to stay at the house, that we love you. We want you to stay away from danger. And so you need to stay close to the house and obey mommy and daddy. At the other time, time I, what I did is I said, Gus, do you remember the deer that was dead over there on the side of the road? Because the car hit it. Because it was in the road. And, do you, and, and I, I was maybe not the, the best model of parenthood, but I wanted to reinforce this really big. So I said, you remember how the birds came and they plucked out its eyes? And they plucked out its, and they ate its skin. That's because the deer went in the road. <laughs> and, and I go, Gus, are you going to go on the road? <laughs> I didn't tell you how that one, Amanda, sorry. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> now, that doesn't mean that he's going to die. But what it is, it's a means to bring about that end, right? To make sure that he doesn't go on the road. God, God uses these warnings not to say that, 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 that by giving Ron a warning, it does not mean that Ron is going to lose his salvation. He's giving Ron a warning because as he gives that warning, the Holy Spirit uses that in his life to bring about the perseverance that, that, that God has already declared that he's going to give him. Right, so these warning passages, here's my point in this. There's some theological, we can go over and over this, back and forth on this. But here's the point I want you to take. When we read those passages about warnings, and and this is not a Hebrews thing. I mean, every single New Testament letter talks about the eschatological judgment. Almost everyone. Don't skip those and go, that doesn't apply to me. That, That there should be an aspect of, that that should go, yes, that's why I need to stay near to Christ. Thankfully, that the Holy, that, that, and even by, by heeding that warning, knowing that truth, and that responding and, and with greater love for Christ and appreciation, that I will face that judgment. And that's why, that's why, that's why I, I abide in the vine, 
right? Because that on that day, I know what, what I'm, the, the assurance of what I'm going to hear is, is justified, righteous before God. Yeah, Bob. And, and on, on the flip side, mm-hmm. does that contradict any of this? There is an adversary who's out to discourage us. Yes. To think that our faith is already lost. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and so I, I, when we look at those, that, that those are those are an important application for us. That these, that these, that, that God's continual reminder of the final judgment is not just for ah uh, someone else besides me. Those passages are written to be able to be a means of God's good work in our lives. So let's let's talk about some other applications of this. Um, all right. So the first application I have there is the doctrine of the final judgment satisfies our inward sense of a need for justice in this world. I'm going to actually, let me give credit. Uh, I, I adopted these right from Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. I thought it was excellent um, in the sense of, of where he went through the, because the, this section, if you look at it, as I said, there's not a lot of new stuff here. It's just very clear in the New Testament. And, and, and Grudem points out that there's some really big applications. These are clear. These are evident because there's clear applications. So I'm, I, I, I'm going to say different things than Grudem says, but the points are, are, are Grudem's from his theology. So the, the, when we read about the final judgment, another way that applies to us, it reminds us that when we face injustice and when we see injustice, that, that in the end, we're going to see that, that God is just and he's going to make all things right. We need to remi- be reminded of this, right? Because unless you just don't read the newspaper or the news at all or online news or whatever it is, then... then you see that there's constant injustice. Um, I, I've recommended before, if you've got 15 minutes a day, seven minutes a day, if, you're, if you listen to it two times the speed, which I often do, um, Albert Moeller's The Briefing Podcast. It's a daily podcast, Monday through Friday. Uh, Albert Moeller is the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and he goes through the news stories of the day. He goes through the, the, a lot of the headlines in the New York Times and Wall Street Journal and, and Washington Post, uh, as well as some other issues that come up. And he looks through them from a Christian worldview. It's about 15 minutes a day. As I said, if you have the function, you can listen to it two times as fast. It's seven minutes. Um, It's called The Briefing. The Briefing. It's a podcast. It's a... um, it's 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 an ex, it's like a it's like a personal daily radio show, Bill. There you go. Um, it's an excellent excellent resource. But I I, I just am amazed because he goes sometimes he looks at these news stories and it's just the same point of application, the same Christian worldview. But but there's certain ones that just get reinforced over and over again. And one of them them is this the, the, that so many of these news stories demonstrate the impossibility and the inability for human justice. Vic and I have talked about this before as well, and, and this aspect that, that even the best that we can provide in, in our human justice system, it's not possible to equal the offenses of the crimes and the offenses committed. And so when, when these things happen and when these verdicts are given, and, and even when the verdict is guilty, there's this, this, this longing, even by a secular society, to say, that's not really justice, right? Because... The, the, so, so there's stories over the last few years that, that at least stuck out in my mind about these, these, these participants in, in the Nazi genocide of the Holocaust who are just now in their 80s and 90s being found. They've lived their whole life, no consequences. They're, 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 they're on the dockets in Germany. They're being tried. And most of them are so old and so sick, they're never going to actually face a day in jail. 
And so there's this wrestling. You see, even by, by a secular society of, how do you, this is injustice. How, how does this, there's, there's something that's broken here, right? But even if they did spend time in jail, it's not going to make up for you, what they Yeah, doing. yeah. So even there, the and, and, that, and that's why even our, 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 our court system tries to say that of this person killed three people, so we're going to give him three life sentences. Well, it doesn't really work that way. It sounds really good. It sounds really good to say three life sentences. The problem is, is we only have one life, right? So there's just an inability. And, 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 and it's just an inability to be able to bring justice. And so that there's this desire for justice. So where do we see justice happen? We see justice in this reminder of the final judgment. And the same thing in our own lives, that there are times where there is injustice done to us. And, and there's a desire of going, where, where, when will there be justice, right? I think about uh, Colossians 3.25. Paul's talking to slaves to obey their masters. And he's implying to even to obey sinful masters because the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. And there is no partiality. And, and that's, that's, there's applicable um, points to this that go across, right, even to things today of, of People, you, you, you work for a crooked boss. You work for a, a, a ungodly boss. You work for, for a hateful boss. Or you, work, you, you live in a home with, with, um, with people who, who just make life really hard or, or whatever it is. And you say, where's the justice for this? And, and God gives us the ability to have hope, the ability to not get bitter, the ability to, um, to, to, to live as God would call us to live and not, as Romans 12 would say, not take justice into our own hands, but to trust in, in God in, in the end that he will make all things right. And so we as, as Christians can be assured of a final judgment. When, as Revelation 20 says, we looked at last week, it says the books will be open and, and every account will be justly recompensed. For unbelievers, they will pay fully for every sin they committed against God and against other people. And for believers, we will recognize that Christ paid that fully, paid in full. It is finished for on our behalf. It's cut, you know, I, and it's eternity of payment. Yeah. Do you know, that's the part that boggles you. At some point, you go, well, isn't it enough? Yeah. You know, you know what yeah. I mean? But it's not, it's not like where is enough justice yeah 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 and i think that's where you start to look when you only and that's what it's interesting where paul is like at the beginning of romans where he 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 defines sin not in terms of relationship with one another where the new testament does right it says that we sin against another but primarily the aspect of we understand is is sin against god right that that there's there's an aspect of sin against one another maybe it's a lifetime you know life for life as 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 genesis would talk about but we're talking about that aspect of sinning against god that there's an eternal weight to that that brings it in a necessi- yeah it really makes you stop and say do i want to wish that on anybody yeah do you know what i mean yes Even totally been offended. yeah I, mean, I think about that with you know my own kids sometimes i get enough yeah, yeah. You know, I never wish an eternity of that on Yeah, them. yeah. Do you know what I mean? Totally. In my right mind. Yeah. But in my unright mind, I might. Yeah, yeah. So it really teaches me to go, hold on, Sherry, back off. Yeah. Bring yourself back. You know what yeah. I mean? There's that boundary. That yeah. And that's Romans 12. I, mean, I was going to look in a little bit, but let's look there now. I mean, I, you just look at Romans 12. And, and there's this aspect of, of um, and that's where I was going to the next part, is that 
there's this aspect of how it affects us, and there's a desire for judgment and knowledge of judgment, but that desire for judgment and knowledge of judgment should not then make us calloused for, of a desire to forgive and a, a desire for their repentance, right? Um, and, and, and that, you know, I think about the story I read in a book once, and it was a pastor who was talking, and I, he said he got permission to, to present some of the counseling cases that he had... Um, that he had done as a pastor. And, and one of them just, just it, it stuck, it's still to this day, it sticks out in my mind. He talks about a, uh, he's, he's counseling a husband and wife who are having marriage difficulties. And basically, that th- or through this, this, it came out that the wife, um, I think it was before they were married, but while, if I remember correctly, they, I think while they were dating, the wife had um, uh, relationships with the husband's best friend. And this came out in the counseling session. And, and the pastor's talking to this husband, and he's saying, what are, you, what are you feeling right now? And he says, I want his blood. Like, I want, I want his blood. He, I want him to pay for this right now. Um, and I, want, I think the, the context is, you know, the, the implication is he wants to go get that guy's blood. Um, and, and, and the pastor said, that's, that's what Scripture speaks to in the sense of that's what is required. What's required is blood. What's required is justice. But, and, then, and then pointing to the fact of, but that's what we sh- are also required to give. So, on the, so, so this man is able to forgive in two ways. One, the man's able to forgive that, or to have an attitude of forgiveness of knowing that God's going to make things right on the last day. And if this, other, if this friend of his confesses and, and, and trusts in Christ, it's not that God just wipes that over. Right? It's not that God just wipes that over and says, oh, he's good now and we take care of this. But it's the aspect of the, everything that we would desire to have justice for, Jesus paid for that in and, 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 and full. So he finds justice there. And, 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 and we wouldn't want anyone to bear the full weight of their sin on themselves. So the desire would be to, give it, to have an, this attitude of forgiveness with one another to, to desire for their repentance. And that's what Romans 12 speaks about, right? Romans 12, look at verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So, we're trusting in God's justice. I'm not the one who, who brings about justice. God is the one who, who brings about final justice. To the contrary, how do we act when someone is, is, um, is wronged us? If your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will keep burning coals on his head. And there's been lots of study, right, of, 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 it, of, of not of a, a vengeance aspect, but of a desire for repentance there. Do not overcome evil. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good, right? And that, that's the desire. The desire is that, that it's not just, oh, you're going to get it on the last day, you're going to get it, and I'm going to leave you to your fate. But, but God says that we would desire to overcome that evil with good. We desire to, to respond in a way to bring about um, their repentance. And that's the example Christ set, right? And we doing that, we follow the example of the Savior. First Peter 2, 23, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. He continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Uh, man, that, that, that's hard, but that's, that's, the, that's the, the example Christ set. 
And then obviously Luke 23, when Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. All right, so when we understand this final judgment is a reminder that, 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 that God is just, that all things will be made right. And that allows us to not have to, to be, try to be that judge, but to allow us to respond and to, to bring about repentance, to be able to respond um, to evil with good. Yeah. Um, I was thinking of uh, Matthew 6, um, 15. And uh, so, so like just this, this idea of that we have this assurance and mm-hmm. we see this as, as trying to push us towards it. But there, it, I mean, the language there is pretty direct. Mm-hmm. But, but if you do not forgive others, yep. sins, your father will not forgive yours. That, that seems like a, a, a demand. Yeah. Like, I mean, and that's those. That's one of the examples of those warnings, right? I think there's warnings that we wanna, we wanna take seriously in the sense of, these are genuine warnings, and yet we we also, as we see the whole of these, that within Matthew we also see the assurances, right? So how do those fit together? And there's aspects of, he warns warns there, and that's not saying, well, that doesn't apply to me, right? Because I know I'm I'm secure in Christ. It applies to me in the sense of that that's a warning and that helps me. In my, to, to stay secure in Christ, right? It helps me to then to live out of that grace that He's given me, is that then showing that to one to, to others as well. But yeah, yeah. So I think, and that, I guess that's kind of my point is that we that those those are very applicable, but they're applicable in context of of we see that 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 the only way is you sync those with because there's one way or the other, right? There's there's one there's one school that would kind of say, and I don't mean literal school, but kind of thought school school of thought that would say, oh, those don't apply to Christians. Those apply to people who are think they're Christians or not. And then there's another school that says, um, no, that is, that, those do apply, but, but the passages to talk about kind of that guaranteed assurance don't really apply. And I say, well, I think they both apply. Yeah. And they both apply in the sense of that, that God's means of bringing about perseverance and, and, and that, that assurance he's given is that those who are saved, they heed, they heed those, and God uses those as a positive influence in, in, to help grow in, in, in faith and grace. Yeah. Yeah, that. Like, oh, sorry. Kind of like so, if you're not forgiving others as Christ as God forgave you, maybe you need to look at yourself. Are you really saved? Are you following His example? Are you trying to be like Christ? Yeah. Because if you're not forgiving and refusing to do that, you're not following Christ. Yeah, I think, and 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 more is the aspect of. I mean, Matthew 18, I think, makes it a little more clear. I mean, he fleshes it there, and then he fleshes it, I think, way more in Matthew 18, and that, that aspect of um, those, who have been, those who have been forgiven, those who have been shown grace, show grace to others. I think it's fleshed out way more there. Um, but again, what's the purpose in that? And, and, and I, I, I think that it doesn't override that aspect of, of, of that there is assurance, but that aspect of, of, of God uses that to... How do we know that, that? How do we not get into a place where we 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 would you know as Jesus you would speak about this falling away from grace right this falling away of of uh, where we are no longer really you know living out grace and not showing grace to others how do we not get there it's because of the partly it's because of look at how gr- wonderful grace is and here's the warnings about what it means to depart from grace he uses both right to bring about that perseverance that he assures us of. That. Oh, that, that had a question. Yeah. Uh, in, uh, in Matthew, you don't, you don't think that he's 
talking to the Jews to present them the law so that they can see the ridiculousness of trying to abide by it? Because it's pretty absurd. Yeah. If you don't forgive, yeah. you will not be forgiven. Yeah. So, it's possible. I mean, especially Sermon on the Mount. Yeah. But then when you look at Matthew, 16, Matthew 18, right? He's specifically addressing Peter and the disciples in Matthew 18. And he says almost the exact same thing with the parable of the unmerciful servant, right? So he's talking about forgiveness. Peter, Peter in a, a discussion with the disciples, how many times should I forgive? So there, there are aspects I could see certainly in the Sermon on the Mount that, that is, is directly towards this, this just Jewish audience, right? But I think that there are things that are, are, are also broader and, and more universal. And I, obviously I think in, in clearly some things you could say, is it or not? I think that one clearly is because of the aspect where it's then reinforced then again with Peter and the disciples in, in Matthew 18, I would say. So, well, yeah. You know, actually in uh, Matthew 6, uh, you know, in the Lord's Prayer, uh, if, the, if the Father will not forgive your trans- uh, transactions, how can you be a believer and go to heaven? Mm-hmm. I wrestle with that, and I think that's pretty, uh, pretty emphatic, you mm-hmm. know, when you actually look and, and, you know, compare what Jesus said on the... Uh, 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 was it uh, Matthew 7 mm-hmm. you know the narrow road the broad highway mm-hmm. and I never knew you mm-hmm. you know depart from me etc yeah. uh, that to me if you don't forgive others mm-hmm. that's a, and he won't forgive you how can you be in heaven with that sin on your well I would say how can you be heaven with any sin <laughs> well, yeah but this is you know this is pretty clear in Scripture. Yeah, but James would say that any sin is, would, would, would disqualify us, right? James says any transgression of the law is breaking the entire law. So I, I, I would be careful to say that there are certain sins that would exclude us, extra, have extra exclusion from heaven, right? Because James would say any breaking of the law is, an exclusion, is a breaking of the entire law. So if you break other parts of the law, it's actually he would say that you're also breaking that one as well because you're breaking the, the entire law. But I, I get your point in the sense of, it, it, and that's why I'm saying it's, it's a real warning, but we also don't want to take that in the context in the sa- sense of saying what I want to push against is that so, so some would, would say, um, so you've experienced grace and then you don't show grace to others and so now you're out. You're in, you're out, right? So it's an Armenian tradition. I want to push against that, but I also want to, want to push against this aspect of you're in and, and you have such assurance that those warnings don't apply to us. And, and I would say that it's, it's a both and. That's kind of my point here, is that, 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 that there's warnings about that there's a day that we're going to face the final judgment and, and that, that we have assurance and we have warning and they're actually meant as friends. They're meant to work together instead of an either or. And I guess that's kind of my, my point on that, is that because that, there tend to be one or the other, right? If you're tend to say, saying this is a warning, then you can't really have full assurance, you can't have the kind of assurance that, that first John talks about, right? I write these things that you may know, that you may know and have full knowledge that you right now have eternal life. Well, what is eternal life? Eternal life is heaven experienced right now. How can you experience heaven right now and not experience heaven then? So, so there is a, a full assurance that we can have, and yet there's real warnings that are written to us. How does that work? And that's why I'm trying to say that I think the, the, the best explanation, if we're going to if we're going to heed them both, is that they work us together as friends. To bring, that, that, that God can assure us because the warnings produce the perseverance that we are already assured of. And, and, and with that line of thinking too, you can't say, well, how can I go to heaven with that sin on my shoulders because I'm going to forgive someone their sin? Well, I'm a sinner. 
I have sin on my shoulders. Whether I need to forgive someone else or not, I have sin on my shoulders. So it's, I, I don't think it's talking necessarily about salvation or we don't understand the power of God to forgive our sins. And it's a works, and, a, and, we, and we fall into the works theology that if I do enough good and forgive my brother, then I end up in heaven because God won't hold all my sins against me because I forgave everybody else. So, yeah, and, so and, and that's... Yeah. The, the problem, the, the concern I've had this scene before is where we, we play like a theological game with this verse and we wrap it up and spiritualize it and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And this, the, the other passage you mentioned, mentioned too, I mean, that's very clear, very direct. And, and so I would rather take the clear reading of mm-hmm. that scripture and what it says and uh, the assurance mm-hmm. and then have a problem for myself how, re- how to reconcile those two and thrash on that rather than uh, let, let one push into the other and twist this, this passage up because, uh, yeah, I, I can't explain. I can't yeah. work all Now, I would say, and I think clear is a good word, and that's why I, I'm pushing towards Matthew 18 because you're saying that what, what he's doing here in the Lord's Prayer is, is actually not very clear. He, he's, mentioning, he's mentioning as a side note, right, in the context of what he's actually not trying to teach about. In the context, he's actually not trying to teach about forgiveness. He's actually trying to teach about how we pray, right? Um, and, then, and, then, and then he brings this side note about that, of, of that we're praying in a way in grace and a praying in, in this aspect of forgiveness. And then in the very same Matthew, inspired by the Spirit, is actually taking that same concept and then giving us a whole huge section and an entire parable to, to kind of expound on that. So I think if you're saying what is the clearer, I think that, that Matthew 18 is, is, is definitely the clearer passage, right? Now, I would say that is it clear in the sense that in Matthew 18, would, that's why I'm saying Matthew 18 fully applies to believers. And Matthew 18 is a full warning to Peter and, and to Peter's question, in response to Peter's question. So, so that there is an aspect of, of a warning um, of that, right? And, and, um, but at the same point that... that what is the goal? I mean, the goal of whole Matthew 18 is, is that they bring about repentance, that those who are saved are going to, you know, you're going to win your brother and, and bring them back to repentance. And then, you know, and that's why that we, we you know, just desire to forgive again and again and again is because that, that's, the, that's the, the, the goal and the purpose of it. But, but I think that you're right. I think we want to, we don't want to neuter anything by, by theology, it, but, but it goes both ways. Because we don't want to also neuter and just say, well, this one speaks, seems to speak in those terms, and then we neuter other passages to fit that one as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Joe. I'm just going to mention that in that passage right before that is the Lord's Prayer. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that that's specifically addressed when he says, you're praying to God, forgive us Uh our debts as, or the same way that we forgive others. That's in the petition of that prayer, the central prayer of the New Testament. I'm asking God, forgive me just the way I forgive her and him for what they've done to me, Mm -hmm. kind of thing. Addressing our concerns. Yeah. 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 And I think that's. In other words, give me the strength to forgive that person because it's unforgivable to me. Yeah. So I think that there's an aspect because that's what grace does. When we receive grace, and and, and, I mean, that's what we're going to talk about in Romans is that the problem with going through a book verse by verse is you don't get the full picture. But the full picture of Romans is not just so that we'd understand the gospel. The full picture of Romans is that that when we understand the gospel, that we live in peace and unity with one another. That grace that grace has effect. And, that, and, and, that's, and that's that aspect as well. Forgiveness has effect. That's Matthew 18. Forgiveness, being forgiven means that, that, 
But, but you look at Matthew 18, and Matthew 18 flushes that out, is that not to say that I am forgiven. Matthew 18 doesn't say that he's forgiven because he forgives the other servant. He's, that, 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 that being forgiven, being truly forgiven, would result in him forgiving. So that's what I'm saying. The, the clearer passage, I think, is, is as much as Matthew 18, because he flushes that out so much more in that aspect. And so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That grace, well, and, and that grace is tied to, the, the experiencing of grace never stands alone, right? And that's why the, the, the grace and works are, are different. They're, they're, they, are, they're, they are distinguishable but inseparable, right? That's, that's James's point, which would be, fit here as well. And that's Paul's point as well, and that's Matt, Jesus's point, is that, that, or you could say that forgiveness, uh, being forgiven and forgiving others, they are separable, Right? They, those are two different things. That, that I am not forgiven by my forgiving. So how do I get to heaven? I forgive Gail. If I forgive Gail, then I get to go to heaven. Those are two separate actions, but they're indistinguishable. Or no, sorry, they're distinguishable, but inseparable. They're, they're distinguishable as two different things, but they're inseparable. Right? So my experience of grace and my experience of grace uh, and my unity in the body, my love for the church is distinguishable. But Paul would say is inseparable. That's why I would say that if, if you know people who claim to, to love Jesus and they don't love the church, they don't come to church, they don't love people that part of the church are Christians, they might be saved. But John would, would say they might be deceiving themselves in 1 John as well. They're, they're distinguishable, but they're really inseparable. Uh, okay, time-wise, oh, let me the last one. Um, we talked about motive for righteous living. Let's do the last one. The doctrine of the final judgment provides a great motive for evangelism. I don't think I have to say a whole lot here. Sherry made a point earlier, which is just here. These, these passages remind us that the decisions people make in this life affect their destiny for all eternity. There is a day of judgment. That is, that is one of the clearest documents in the New Testament. And their hearing and their understanding the gospel is the difference between eternal life and eternal death. So that Romans 1.16 would say, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. So there, there's an aspect that when we understand that there is a final judgment, that, that that matters. That matters how we live in relationships with our with those who whose God has put in our lives um, who don't know the Lord, who don't, don't understand the gospel. That matters as we participate in missions all over the world to people who, who need to hear and understand the gospel as we partner in the, that aspect. And that when we understand these truths, that, that uh, again, Romans, that's where Romans drives. Paul's writing Romans to understand the gospel, to understand that one of the implications of the gospel is the importance of, of evangelism and missions. And so that's, uh, so that's another important ap- application there. I'm going to pray for us uh, and get, get a couple minutes break before I preach this morning. And so let me, let me pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the, the good discussion that we had. And Father, I pray that you would help us to, to, to heed each, all the scripture says, Lord. And, and it's written, Lord, just for our benefit, for our profit, Lord. To be profitable, Lord, for teaching and training in righteousness, Lord. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us to, to, to do that. And, and including this aspect of, of, of thinking through how your scripture would remind us again and again and again of the final judgment. Lord, that that would not be something that we would just skip over, that that would not be something that we just breeze by, but that we would see that there are real reasons that you have us consider 
that, that, the, that truth and that doctrine. That, that we live life in light of knowing already what the end will bring. Father, we thank you that, that we have assurance and that, that, of what that will bring for us who are in Christ. And yet let, let us continue to heed that warnings, Lord, as your means to continue to keep us close and, and, and abiding in him. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the, the, how that, that assurance of the final judgment would affect our relationships with, a, with others and with the world. Lord, that we don't have to become, be overcome by evil. And at the same time that we recognize that evil will face judgment, that we can also overcome evil with good in light of that. So, Father, help us. Help us as we would encounter that, as we read your scriptures, as we, that, that you would continue to use that to sanctify us by your truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.